So, as I mentioned earlier um, already, that I am, I have been co-vocational um, for quite some time, bivocational for uh, a couple years now, as I'm trying to, as we're trying to launch this church and. Um, but my other job is uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor here, and my other job is I'm a chaplain at a hospital at Adventist Health in Glendale. And on any given day, and um, when I'm there a couple days a week, in the mornings, I have this list, what, what is called a census of patients that I'm supposed to see that day, right? And there's not much on there about each patient because there's so many, right? And each day, I'm, I try to see at least 20 patients, which is a lot. Right now, some of those visits are like five minutes. <laughs> some of those uh, visits are like an hour. Okay, I have no idea what each visit is going to be like. And as I was going through my list, uh, there was one patient that I saw was pretty young. Now, whenever there's a young adult patient, that always stands out to me because at the hospital, you would expect to see mostly older people, right? So there was this young 26 year old woman who was there and, and it has a brief description of why they're there. And it said that she was COVID positive. I was like, okay, which is for the past year, that's been very common, right? For me to visit COVID patients. So I wear the N95 mask, I wear goggles, <laughs> I gown up, I wear gloves. You would think I'm going into a nuclear uh, hazardous zone when the, the way I go in to see a COVID patient. It's very, very, um, uh, not welcoming. When I go, I'm like going into a patient's room like this <laughs> with goggles, mask, and you know, the whole gown, the whole setup. I'm like, hi, my name is Al. I'm your chaplain for today. I'm here to provide you with spirit. I mean, that's not how I approach myself, but I do look like that, right? And then I say, I'm here to provide spiritual and emotional support. How are you feeling today? And I could tell within the first like five seconds whether or not they want me to stay and provide spiritual care for them, right? And she's very low energy and she's speaking very softly. And she's like, I'm doing better. I'm like, okay, um, do you mind if I sit down and you know we could talk about how you're feeling? She says, yeah, sure. And, and she's still lying down, okay? She's still lying down in her bed and her face is like covered with a blanket. And so I sit down and we're chatting a little bit, right? And uh, I'm like, so I see here, you're here because you're, you have COVID? She's like, yeah, sort of. Okay. And it takes, it's taking some time for her to really start opening up, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm about to get ready to leave because I'm just like thinking, okay, I guess she's not really ready to talk right now. So um, after like 10 minutes, I say, well, it, it, it seems like you might be a little tired right now or you're not in the mood to talk. So I'll leave our card here. Um, is there anything else I could do for you before I leave? And she says, I don't know. And then she sits up, right? And then she, you know, moves the bed up because you know you could move the hospital beds up to like seated position. And then she shows me her wrist. And she had scars on her wrist from attempted suicide. That's why she was brought into the hospital. She didn't know she had COVID until she came into the hospital. She was asymptomatic, right? The real reason why she came into the hospital was because of attempted suicide. I was like, oh. Oh my, okay, you wanna talk about that? And she's like, I don't know, um, I just feel so stupid. And she was like, as she was sharing, as she was opening up, um, she started getting very emotional as, as expected, right? 
And she was talking about how she deeply regretted this reckless act that she did. As she should, right? As she should. And she, was, she realized like how many people she hurt after she woke up, right? All these like text messages, missed phone calls, voicemails, a family, a friends, her boyfriend, her loved ones, all these people that she hurt by this one reckless act. And she felt so foolish for doing this. Now, I don't know where uh, we came up with this notion in our country, <laughs> in this Western society that we live in, where you, we live with no regrets, right? I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Live life with no regrets. But it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Like when people actually live with no regrets, um, they're kind of weird. <laughs> there, there's something not right about that credo, about that motto of living. And I, I really thought like deep in my gut, there was something deeply wrong with this like sentiment, right? With this like way of living, right? Live life with no regrets. But I couldn't really articulate it very well. Fortunately, there's this uh, book that came out recently by one of my favorite authors. His name is Dan Pink, uh, called The Power of Regret, okay? The Power of Regret. How looking backward moves us forward, okay? Now, Dan Pink defines regret as that stomach-churning feeling you get um, that the present day would be better and the future might be brighter if only you hadn't chosen so poorly, decided so wrongly, or acted so stupidly in the past. Okay, that's kind of like a long-winded way of defining regret. Uh, the dictionary's definition of regret is this, to feel sorrow, loss, or disappointment for a past act, decision, or inaction. Okay, and that's in your bulletins. I, I put that definition in the back of your bulletins for you. Um, now, what's really interesting about this, okay, particularly that last word of that dictionary definition, inaction, okay, is that author Dan Pink, he, he surveyed literally tens of thousands of people, and he is kind of like obsessive, okay, he admits that he has OCD, and he is like uh, an over-researcher, okay, and uh, it takes him years and years before uh, he comes out with a book, okay, he always writes nonfiction books, and uh, he put this like survey out there for tens of thousands of people to share their regrets, okay? And he literally got like, I think 16,000 responses back. And he read every single one of them because he's crazy. <laughs> and um, he concluded that by and large, people regret what they didn't do more than what they did do. Regrets of inaction are far more common than regrets of action. Dan Pink acknowledges that regret is surprisingly difficult to define, which is why his definition of regret was kind of long-winded. Uh, scientists, theologians, poets, and uh, doctors have all tried to define regret, and they all vary slightly depending on who you ask. Uh, psychologists say regret is the unpleasant feeling associated with some action or inaction a person has taken, which has led to a state of affairs that he or she wishes were different. Business experts say, quote, regret is created by a comparison between an actual outcome and that outcome that would have occurred had the decision maker made a different choice. And philosoph philosophers say, quote, it is a feeling of unpleasure 
associated with a thought of the past together with the identification of an object and the announcement of an inclination to behave in a certain way in the future. I think instinctively, we all kind of know what regret is, right? We know when we feel it, we know when we think it, but it's kind of difficult to define and to pin down. So Dan Pink takes all of these various definitions, studies, and tens and thousands of surveys regarding regret. And he deduced that regret is actually not only a feeling, but a process, okay? It's a process. It's a process that's unique to humans. No other animal in the world experiences regret, okay? That is a feeling and a process that's unique to humans. And the reason why it's unique to humans is because human beings are the only species capable of looking back at our past and reflecting on that and looking forward to the future and theorize what can be. Many animals are able to somewhat remember the past and they uh, remember this in a way where they hold it in their body, right? And this is how we're able to train like domesticated animals, right? And this is how wild animals hone their primitive instincts from things that have happened to them in the past, but they're not really able to like reflect on it like human beings are. And no other animals can look forward to the future and imagine what can be possible. And Dan Pink calls this the double helix of regret. We can visit the past quote, okay, and this is him quoting from the book, we can visit the past and the future in our heads and we can tell the story of something that never actually happened. Human beings are both seasoned time travelers and skilled fabulous. These two capabilities twine together to form the cognitive double helix that gives life to regret. Regret is that indispensable feeling that is unique to humans. Animals feel, feel lots of emotions, right? Like fear, right? Animals feel happiness and animals even feel sadness, right? When you scold an animal for doing something bad, like chewing a pillow or uh, peeing on your bed, right? Animals feel like dogs feel bad, right? They feel sad, right? But they don't really feel regret, okay? Human beings are the only animals on the planet that is capable of feeling this feeling and able to process regret. So the central truth for today is that regret makes us both human and if done well, it also makes us better. Regret makes us both human and makes us better. And nearly all regrets fall into one of uh, four categories, okay? According to Dan Pink, and this is also in your bulletin. Foundational regrets, boldness regrets, moral regrets, and connection regrets. Foundation, boldness, moral, and connection. Foundation regrets is when a key decision that shapes our foundational structures of our lives, such as uh, family, uh, deciding on a life partner, your career, or the community in which you decide to live with. Boldness regrets has to do with uh, regrets of chances or decisions not taken because you were afraid of the risk involved. More regrets uh, has to do with uh, everyone's uh, sense of inherent morality. Okay, everyone, uh, just as we discussed last week with Charles Taylor, the philosopher, uh, everyone has an inherent sense of morality that they vary from person to person. But over time, we regret 
morally dubious decision that we've made uh, along the way that eat away at us, uh, such as uh, cheating on a spouse, backstabbing others for social or career advantage, taking advantage of a business partner, uh, or so on and so forth. Ultimately, uh, people realize that the means never justifies the end. And connection regrets. These arise when people neglect relationships, particularly those relationships that would make our lives fuller, richer, and shape us into better people. When those relationships fall by the wayside, people experience a deep loss that can never be fully restored. Okay, not only does Dan Pink talk about this in his book, uh, Apostle Paul wrote about this in his second letter to the Corinthian church. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7? If you don't have your Bibles, go ahead and look at the screen, and I will also read it for us, for those watching online. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 12. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we dive more deeply into this um, kind of rarely explored feeling and process of regret, would you reveal to us what regrets that we have and how you are teaching us, shaping us, and molding us through these feelings. We know that experiencing regret is not only human uh, and natural, but they are good. You have given us the ability to feel regret because it makes us into better human beings and it makes us more and more like you if it is done well. So open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts to be able to receive this and to be able to apply it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, we just read from 2 Corinthians. Uh, it is a letter that it was written by the late great Apostle Paul. And he, as many of you know, started many churches in the first century, uh, probably the greatest missionary to have ever lived and the most um, 
prominent church planter to have ever existed, right? And he helped start this church in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth is a very unique city because it was one of the largest port cities in the ancient world at the time. And it is actually very similar to Los Angeles because you have people from all different nations and cultures and languages coming together to this one city uh, as a hub of cultural diversity. And many of the people who lived there came from pagan backgrounds, okay? They were not Jewish, okay? And uh, they, when I say pagan backgrounds, most of them believed in many gods, okay? And they were polytheists. They believed in many gods. And so the way that they understood their relationship with God was uh, really, really hard for them to grasp, okay? Because they had relationship before the way they saw it with many gods, right? And now if they were to become Christian and they were to join the early church, they became monotheists. So that was a big change for many of them. And so the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth was a lot of teaching, correcting, and rebuking, right? Because they had a lot of wrong teachings. They had a lot of uh, weird practices, and they just didn't know how to live correctly as the people of God. And so he followed up 1 Corinthians with 2 Corinthians, which is almost like a sequel <laughs> to the first letter. Okay, and that's why he says in the beginning of today's passage, even though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, uh, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. So what's he saying? Okay, is he like uh, schizophrenic? <laughs> he says, I did not regret it. I did regret it, <laughs> right? So what he's actually saying is like long-term regret, okay? He does not still regret it, Okay. He did regret it in the, in the beginning because maybe the way that he taught, corrected, and rebuked the church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, was really harsh. And so he might have regretted the way he, uh, he came off. He might have regretted how harsh he was in his previous letter, okay? And the church in Corinth had so many problems, okay? Had so many problems, okay, that uh, New Testament scholars believe that Paul wrote at least at least that we know of four letters, okay? And we only have two in the Bible, right? Uh, that we, New Testament scholars believe that there are at, at least four letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth because they had so many issues. <laughs> they had so many problems. So he had to correct them and rebuke them again and again and again, right? And so in the beginning, he says that uh, he, he regrets it or he does not regret it still, okay? Um, but he did regret it in the beginning because he saw that it hurt them because he was too harsh. And so this is the first thing that we learn about healthy regret, okay? Healthy regret is temporary, okay? Healthy regret is temporary. Paul names this another way, okay? Healthy regret, godly sorrow, godly sorrow, in verse 10, he says, godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings about death, okay? Godly sorrow. Paul encourages the church in Corinth to actually feel godly sorrow. When you do something bad, you should be sorrowful. You should be sad about it. <laughs> you should regret it, okay? If you hurt someone's feelings, you should regret it, okay? So Paul actually did regret it a little bit in the beginning. But when he reflected on it, he realized I actually needed to say what I said 
Maybe he could have said it differently. Maybe he could have been gentler. I don't know. But he says, I regretted it just in the beginning, but I still don't regret it. So there is a difference between healthy regret and unhealthy regret. Okay? And I think we all know kind of internally what that is. Maybe like subconsciously, you, we kind of know the difference between healthy regret and unhealthy regret. And the big thing with healthy regret is that it's temporary. Healthy regret is temporary. When you're able to reflect on what you did or what you said or what you didn't do, right? You can admit that, oh, that, that could have gone very differently. Unhealthy regret, on the other hand, it stays with you. It's permanent, right? And that's maybe when you feel uh, shame because of who you are. Not necessarily what you did, but you start to feel shame about who you are. Best-selling author and psychologist, Dr. Brene Brown, uh, distinguishes between shame and guilt. Shame says, I am bad. And guilt says, I did something bad. Right? There's a big difference between shame and guilt. Healthy regret has to do with guilt. Unhealthy regret has to do with shame. Right? And healthy regret is temporary, right? So if you're experiencing regret from like long, long time ago that you can't shake off, right? Uh, you have to reflect on that and ask yourself, why am I still feeling that? Okay, is this healthy regret that I'm feeling or is it unhealthy? Does this have more to do with guilt or does it have more to do with shame? Because when we do something bad, when we say something stupid, when we hurt someone's feelings, yeah, we should feel guilty. Okay. The other thing that uh, healthy regret uh, shows us, okay, um, this is verse eight. We already kind of went over that. Is that healthy regret leads to repentance? Healthy regret leads to uh, repentance, and this is found in verses uh, nine and ten. Okay, let me read that for us again. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Godly sorrow, as Paul put it, or healthy repentance leads to repentance. Or I said healthy repentance. Healthy regret leads to repentance. Let me continue on. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so were not harmed in any way by us. God actually intense for you to feel sorrowful sometimes okay this is how we become better people <laughs> this is how we become godlier men and women you do something bad you feel bad about it <laughs> right that's that's very very healthy in verse 10 godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret when you actually experience godly sorrow when you actually experience healthy regret there is no lingering unhealthy regret or what Paul calls worldly sorrow, okay? Because healthy sorrow is temporary and healthy, uh, healthy, sorry, healthy regret is temporary and healthy regret also leads to repentance. And so what does that mean? Well, you repent by confessing it to God, asking God for forgiveness. You repent by admitting it to others to your friends, to your family members, to your coworkers, like, hey, what I did was stupid. I'm so sorry. 
what I said was dumb, okay? It le- that's, that's repentance. That's what repentance looks like. And lastly, um, these are all interconnected, okay? These are all like deeply interconnected and intertwined. Healthy regret restores relationships. Healthy regret restores relationships. A life without regret is either a life that never makes mistakes or uh, a life that is unable to self-reflect. Think about it. A life with no regrets is a life that never makes mistakes or is unable to self-reflect. So when people are going around and saying like, live life with no regrets, you have to wonder like, okay, either this person is living the perfect life and has made no regrets or no mistakes in their lives whatsoever, or they're really not deeply reflecting on the mistakes that they've made. Studies have shown that there are only three types of people in the world who are unable to self-reflect, okay, and have regret in their lives, okay? One is children five years old and younger, okay, because that uh, part of the brain is not developed yet. Uh, The other type of people who are not able to regret uh, are people with brain damage to, especially to their frontal lobe part of their brain, which helps us with socializing and morality and, um, and a lot of our like cognitive and emotional thinking, okay? And the, the third type of people who are not able to regret are sociopaths. <laughs> sociopaths, right? They do stuff, they say stuff that hurt other people and they're like, I don't care, right? Your feelings mean nothing to me, right? Like it doesn't, like no one else really matters except for themselves, okay? <laughs> and I don't think any of us in here fall into those categories, well, Maxine is not, <laughs> well, but that part of uh, like babies' brains are not fully developed yet, right? And then by the time they reach like between four and six, they start to feel remorse and regret, right? So unless you fall into those three categories, you do feel regret. But when we say, uh, I, don't, I don't have any regrets, you're either you're lying to yourself or you're really, really not doing some deep self-reflection. So when we do uh, experience regret, okay, it restores relationships, okay? Um, And this is seen in the last two verses of today's passage. See what this godly sorrow, which is, you know, synonymous with healthy regret. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, uh, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourselves how devoted to us you are. Okay, so look at what... uh, uh, Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, okay? He says, godly sorrow has produced in you earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves, like to uh, have a clear conscience. What indignation, like indignation is like anger for when you see wrongdoing. What alarm, what longing, desire to do good, okay? Longing to do good. What concern, 
concern for others, okay? Concern to help others. What readiness to see justice done. This is what godly sorrow produces in you. This is what healthy regret produces in us. So when, when I say healthy regret um, restores relationships, okay? Uh, it restores us to God through repentance, as we saw in, in the second point. And, and forgiveness, asking God for forgiveness and restoring that relationship that, that was broken between us and God. It restores us to each other by bringing about healthy love, healthy relationships and wholeness with our uh, friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers. And it restores justice to society. It restores justice to society. If more people in power experienced healthy regret more often, this world would be a much uh, different place. I wonder, <laughs> maybe I'm being judgmental, but I wonder if Vladimir Putin experiences healthy regret, godly sorrow. You know, if, if so, would he really <laughs> do what he's doing to this like, little country of Ukraine, you know, like what would the world look like if more people in power experience healthy regret more often? A couple years ago, I read this book by um, a hospice nurse. Um, her name is Ronnie Ware. And she wrote this book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. Now, Ronnie Ware is a, a hospice nurse. She served as a hospice nurse for like 20 something years, right? And she's been with many people on their deathbeds, okay, while they were on their deathbeds. And they have confessed and admitted so many regrets that they had in their lives, right? And so in this book, she lays out the five most common regrets that she hears people say, okay? And it's not in any particular order, okay? But these are some of the regrets that she hears people say over and over and over again, okay? And it actually aligns really well with Dan Pink's book, The Power of Regret. Uh, the first thing, uh, the first regret that she says um, that she hears very often of the dying is that I wish I had the courage to live a true, uh, live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And this has to do with boldness, right? Boldness regrets. They just kind of uh, live their lives the way that maybe their parents told them or the way that society told them um, and not the way that, they, that was true to themselves. And this is not like a Christian book, by the way, okay? <laughs> okay, this is just like an honest uh, book by a hospice nurse. Uh, the second thing that she hears really often is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Isn't that interesting? As she says like uh, many, many patients, especially male patients have confessed that they have been workaholics and it actually did them more harm than good. And this has to do with foundational regrets, right? The, decision that they made to put work before family or to put work before personal health. Uh, the third regret that she hears very often is, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had the courage to express 
my feelings. Many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with others, or many people suppress their feelings because they were afraid of uh, what would happen or what would not happen in, uh, in response. Right? Maybe they were afraid to express or confess a, a feeling for someone that they had, but uh, they were afraid of the risk of getting rejected. But look, uh, a lot of people confess that it was, it's actually worth getting rejected Okay, uh, then to, and to have a clear conscience, then to wonder what if. The fourth regret that she heard, heard most often was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Okay, this has to do with connection regrets. Okay, many, many people regret uh, not keeping in touch with close friends or family members. And last but not least, I wish I had let myself be happier. Interestingly, uh, and this is what's, what's most surprising for her, is that she realized that happiness is ultimately a choice. Happiness is ultimately a choice. The so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions as well as their physical lives. Fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content when deeply inside they longed to uh, have a different life. And that's from her book. Those are uh, quotes from her book, and that has to do with something foundational. And so we realize that over time, we have these regrets lingering in our hearts, in our spirits, but we don't want to confront them because it's hard, right? It's painful. Uh, and it will always be painful. <laughs> to confront, reflect, and admit uh, the regrets that we have. But we have to do it because uh, it makes us uniquely human and it makes us better, okay? Even though regret is difficult, it is our greatest teacher. And this is the way that God intended. God put this emotion in us to help us process uh, what we've done, any mistakes that we have made, any guilt that we have, because he wants us to become more and more like Jesus, to become better human beings, to become godlier men and women. So the question I want to leave us with today, and it's also in your bulletin, what regrets do you have that's trying to teach you something? Okay, what regrets do you currently have that's trying to teach you something? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the ability, the power to regret. I know it's hard. I know it's painful. And it makes us uncomfortable at times. But Lord, when we actually confront them and reflect on them, It makes us into godlier men and women. It makes us into the type of people you want us to be. So help us to do it often and regularly and honestly, whether it's in our prayers, whether it's in writing in our journals, whether it's in sharing about it with others, talking about it with others. Help us to 
share and talk about our regrets openly and honestly and not to be afraid of them and not to be ashamed of them because you gave them to us. You gave this feeling to us. It's the very thing that makes us human and it makes us better. So we thank you for allowing us to live with regret, <laughs> as weird as that sounds, um, and help us not to stay there. Lord, as we reflect on them more deeply and honestly, we realize more and more that uh, healthy regret is temporary. Healthy regret leads to repentance and healthy regret restores relationships. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great week.